Good morning again. <laughs> I'm Colleen. <laughs> Uh, our scripture reading today is found in Acts 21, verse 37, through Acts 22, verse 22. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Paul had received a prophecy that when he traveled to Jerusalem, he would be taken captive and imprisoned. This had taken place just as the Lord had foretold. The false report that Paul had taken at, uh, as a Gentile in the holy place of the temple had led to his being arrested with a mob calling for Paul's death. That brings us to Acts 21, verse 37. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the Roman commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission... Paul took on, uh, stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from the heavens flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice calling to me, saying, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people of, where you have, of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there, giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away from the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Colleen. God bless you as you go 
to Biola this year. She'll be rooming with one of our Lake students, uh, Melody, Melody Gerges and Colleen are going to be rooming there. They'll be a dynamic duo on that Biola campus. Well, you know, the Bible tells us that there are going to be times in our world when uh, nations are in uproar. Psalm 46. Uh, or in Psalm 2, uh, nations rage furiously. So when we read the newspapers and see all the trouble in our world, we shouldn't be surprised. But I, I'm just telling you, um, in my lifetime, I don't think there's ever been a time in which it seems that nations are so much in uproar or that nations are raging as furiously as they are now. Do you agree with me? It just seems that everywhere you turn, I, I jotted down a few things even this morning as I listened to the news uh, front and center was this situation with, with ISIS, uh, the, the group gaining so much in the mu Muslim world, so much uh, momentum. And even yesterday, uh, had a group of Christian men stand and shot them uh, to their death and then took over their wives and children. That's happening there and seems to be growing. And it only, you almost forget the fact that there are other places where nations are raging so that the situation in Ukraine and Russia escalated again this past week, Thursday and Friday, and you know the markets went down here in our own world because of that. Sometimes we just forget that things are still going on in Israel with bombs going back and forth. And as so many who are here of Egyptian heritage remind me week after week that there continue to be in the nations of Egypt and, and Syria and, and, and Libya and so many places where nations are raging and in turmoil. Um, we need to be praying for those. I, I pray that you will follow the news and, and bring these matters to God and pray that, that God's glory would be known. But it really is a question of how we pray in such times. And one of the things that's troubled me, well, I was going to say a bit, but really a lot, is that sometimes when I listen to how Christians in the United States think about trouble in our world, and, and it comes to our own country too. I forgot to mention that the biggest one perhaps is what's happened in St. Louis where we had yet another shooting of a young man that's led to a lot of, of rioting because we still have racial tensions in our country. When people say we don't, I, I keep thinking, have, have they buried their heads in the sand? And I was with a group of my um, pastor friends this past week, and a couple of my African-American brothers talked to me about how this continues to bring so much turmoil within the life of the church because of the concerns about how do you raise children in our urban communities these days. So when, when these things happen and, and we pray about it, how do, how do we pray? And sometimes here in the United States, uh, I, get, I think people almost have the idea that these problems are greater than God. Sometimes I listen to it, it's like, well, if we don't somehow do something, uh, ISIS must be more powerful than God. President Putin of Russia must be more powerful than God. Or else you get this idea that, that God is omnipotent somehow. He has the power, but he can't use it unless we're sort of like cheerleaders. And if we can really rev him up, maybe he'll use his power. I'm telling you, that is an anti-Christian view of God. That is a sub-Christian view of God. May I remind you that the God we believe in spoke and this world came into being. Uh, I, I want to remind you that when Jesus was here and even demons were there, he would speak and they would have be dispelled. They, they could not stand in his presence. And in those same places where nations rage, God speaks and kingdoms fall. That's the God that we call our Father. Amen. We know him personally. Uh, we enter into this relationship and know him as, a, as, as Abba. 
So yes, prayer is to play a significant role, but it's not one that leads to our anxiety that somehow God is out of control. God gives us the responsibility to come and ask him, but if God does something different from what we ask him to do, we still should be able to have peace-filled trust, even in the most challenging of times in our world or in your own life. And we know that whatever happens, our role is to be faithful and to be witnesses to Jesus, that he is greater than those things. if you're new to church, there's a verse. You can't even be in church more than three or four times until you hear one of us using. I use the verse all the time myself. It's Romans 8:28. We know something because we know him. We know that God is at work in all things, working all things together. He works all things in this world together for good, for the good that he is going to bring about. Now, uh, let me just ask you, what's in the all things? I'm seeing if anybody's awake. <laughs> all the, all the, the good things and the bad things. This is the amazing thing we believe about God. That God is personally involved in this world. That he takes the most difficult of things, even a cross of Jesus being on a cross, and brings powerful things out of it. At the end of the day, almost like a parent who knows more than what the, the child can know at that point, God knows more than any of us know. And He takes all of the things, when He sends us into difficult places and times, He knows why we are there. He has sent us there for a reason. And He is going to work all those things together for the good of those who love Him. And that good is Colossians 1.28. He's going to make you complete in Christ. And for the world, he has, he has a global plan that eventually in this world where so many things are wrong that I've talked about, he's going to make everything right. Revelation 21 and 22. All things will be made new. All things will be right. So these many all things that are happening in our world, nations may rage, but God is here. And so we should learn uh, to trust him. Now, the problem, of course, is that even though we all believe this and Christians have, we don't always see very many good examples of people who are at peace in the midst of crisis and people who just say, I'm going to be faithful and give witness to Jesus whatever happens wherever he sends me. Uh, President John Kennedy, in one of his uh, speeches, said something that's been used, businessmen, every motivational speech, you, you will have heard this, but he talked about the Chinese character or word for crisis uh, is uh, a combination uh, of, of a word for um, danger and opportunity. Now, I was talking about this one time in, in China, and a, a professor at Beijing University, of all places, told me that's not quite right. But then I had other professors come through my door after the 9 o'clock service and said it is right. So I still think whether it is or not that that's true. In the Bible, that's true. That when you find there is a crisis in the world or in your life, there is danger, but it is an opportunity to show people the kind of God that we have placed our faith in. And today we're going to see that there are examples of this in the Bible and through history, and I want us to be examples of this, that whatever happens in our lives, our lives are filled with shalom, and that we find the courage to be faithful and to give witness to Jesus. So how do we go from where we are, as sometimes uh, people who aren't filled with peace in a crisis and don't always have a lot of courage, to where God would have us to be? Well, today we're going to be looking at the life of Paul. And I don't know if you were listening carefully as Colleen was reading, but he was in a, he was in a crisis. <laughs> he had been falsely accused 
of uh, bringing a Gentile named Trophimus into the holiest place in the temple. And the Jewish people in Jerusalem were angry. They, they, wanted, him, they wanted him to die. And so there's a bloodthirsty crowd there. In, for the second time, we're going to have one of those. It's, someone told me it's like sort of a union meeting that's going on in the whole city of, of Jerusalem uh, there that day. And it looks like everything is out of control. And yet what you find is that Paul is at peace. And he sees this, as an, this crisis as an opportunity. And he, he uses that opportunity to point people to Jesus. So, once again, how do we get to where he was? Because that's what I pray that we will be wherever God sends us. And we know it doesn't happen in a moment. That you trust Jesus and the next day you're this person who trusts God so much you're not worried about anything. So that's why I've called this a path to courage. Our lives are in process. I was talking about this fact with um, Pastor Edmund Chan. Do you remember when he was here a few months ago from Singapore? And he said, yes, that's the way it is. And he said this path toward trust and courage always goes in the same sort of way in the Bible. And he gave me some words that I just stole his outline. But it fits perfectly what Paul experienced. He says, here's, here's the way the past goes. And I pray it will happen for you today. That there are those times, even like now, where God breaks in to our lives. And we see him as he really is. When God breaks in to your life, you see yourself then and see that's what's not quite right. And that leads to a break with. The break in leads to a break with. A break with patterns or sins in our lives that don't please the God that we've met. That break with should lead to a breakthrough of surrender to God and of trust. And that breakthrough should lead to a break forth. It always leads to service, to go, us going out and living differently because of the God that we have met. So let's see if that might happen today. It began with a break-in. God breaking into Paul's life. And, and I've called it, it's a personal experience of who God is. That he's sovereign, that he's present, that he's powerful. Do you notice that the Apostle Paul, as he gave this speech before that bloodthirsty crowd, the heart of the speech was this, I met God. I met God. And that time of Paul's meeting God, it was reported in Acts chapter 9 for the first time. This time it's from Paul's own testimony uh, in front of a bloodthirsty crowd. Later, we're going to get again to chapter 26, uh, where he stands before a king and a governor, and he does the same thing. I've got to tell you something. This isn't just some theoretical philosophy. I've met God. In fact, I've got to give you a warning. When you read from verse chapter 21 on to 28, from this point on, Paul's in trouble all the time. Just all the time. I mean, this time he, gets, he, he has a bloodthirsty crowd after him. That leads to him being incarcerated. Being incarcerated led to him appealing to Caesar. That sent him to Rome. Going to Rome where he's going to be imprisoned again, he gets shipwrecked. I mean, it just it doesn't get any better. But, but all the time, he, God is there. And he keeps coming back to that. I met him. I met him. I met him. And it changes everything. Now, now he started his dress, verses 3 to 5, when you read that by turning to a group of people who were angry and wanting him to die. And instead of him just criticizing them and putting them down, he connected his own life to them. Pretty much he said, if you heard Colleen read, I know you're angry, I know you want to put me to death, but listen, I am a Jew. In fact, he was speaking Aramaic. Uh, for those of you who are here, let's say if your uh, heritage is Chinese, 
Uh, you've come to the States and you still can speak a little bit of Mandarin, but your parents speak really good Mandarin. That's the way it was for Paul. The, the, the first generation people in Jerusalem spoke Aramaic, but many of the Jews who came in from other places, their main languages were Greek and other sorts of things. So he spoke in the, the real language that was the, in, in, and so they listened carefully to him and he says I was just like you in fact I was, I was angrier than you at people of the way I was angry with, with Christians yes you want to kill me but I killed lots men and women followers of the way and the main leaders of your temple and your synagogues they know because they knew that I was a leader I was the best trained person under Gamaliel I was, I was a rabbi not only a rabbi I was a Pharisee I was on the way to Damascus to get other people of the way, which is what Christians were called, people of the way, to put them to death when God broke into my life. I met God through faith in Jesus. And things can never be the same. And for the rest of Paul's life, when he faced the difficulty, he would always know that no matter how great that difficulty was, God is real and God is greater than that difficulty. You see, this wasn't, and it wasn't just a one-time thing. Uh, verse 17, he had a second time of just having this meeting with God. He fell into a trance that time, so it was different. It was like a dream. And God broke in and says, I still know you and I have a plan for you. He actually had met him before because, you know, when he got into that bloodthirsty scene, he didn't have to think that God doesn't know about this. God must have forgotten me because in chapter 21, verses 10 to 15, uh, God had sent a prophet named Agabus to Paul. And, and Agabus had said, when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. Uh, it wasn't keeping him from going to Jerusalem. It was really telling him that when that happens, you will know that this is all a part of the all things, that God is going to work together for his good. And in fact, God does. He gets into things that you would never have chosen to do, so he ends up... Uh, going to Rome as a prisoner, but that gives him an opportunity to speak to a king and a governor about Jesus. While being in prison in Rome, you know much of the New Testament was written that guides our lives. It's working all things together for good. Do you see that? And it all begins with God breaking into his life so that whatever happened in this world, he knew that God was greater than the crisis, than the difficulty, than the enemy, than death itself. Brothers and sisters, the God he met is the same God we worship here today. Do you believe that? Same God. He still is present. He still breaks into life. And you and I need to have these regular meetings with the, the sovereign God. Where does he meet us, you might ask. I had a lot of people talk with me about this afterwards. Where does he meet us? Well, on one side, he meets us wherever he wants to. <laughs> I mean, I say that Paul met Jesus. It was really Jesus met Paul, right? He didn't want to meet him. But in general, the Bible talks about us being people who should seek God. You know the prophet who said, search for God, seek God with all of your heart, and he will allow himself to be found. Jesus in Matthew 18 says that so many times that time of meeting will come when two or three are gathered in a meeting like this one in his name. Even though he is present everywhere, there's this special presence of God. So when I talk about God breaking into your life as something that is a part of the path toward peace and courage, what am I asking you to do? Well, I think two things. One, I pray you will make a commitment to doing what you're doing right now. 
And that is coming and worshiping together with God's people. When God's people are gathered, He is here in our midst. In my own experience, so many of my most profound and deepest meetings with God have been right here, sometimes in unexpected moments, in the midst of a song, in the midst of a time where I didn't expect a word. Being, it's as if God is speaking to me directly. Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? Um, the re- regular part of the life that God gives us is what we've been praying about today. Six days you shall work and get it all done. So six days you go into uh, your workplace, into the schools, wherever God has, is sending you to go. But there is one day you should set aside. And a part of that day should be gathering with God's people. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Uh, when you come to church, will you come prepared to meet God, longing to meet God? I feel like sometimes we start thinking about this once we come in and maybe the music begins. You know, in the Psalms, there's so many of the Psalms, they're called ascension Psalms. You can read about it. And there are ascension Psalms that are written as people are walking to the place of worship. They are singing praise, getting ready to meet God when they enter into the house. And I would long for you to do the same. Come in praying, praying that, that when this word is opened, that it will be delivered faithfully but also that God would give you ears to hear what He has to say. Uh, So one of the places of meeting Him is making sure you set aside this day where at least a big part of that is where you worship Him and long to meet Him. The other part, and every pastor for, for centuries has called upon our people to do this, and I'll call upon you to do this as well, is to make sure each day of your life you have some time where you set aside a time and a place to meet personally with God. I think you need to get rid of distractions, even if it's just for a few moments. Uh, shut off the phone for just a few moments. Shut down the pad for just a few moments. I, uh, young mo- moms with young children, I don't know how you're going to do this. W- where do young mothers find a place of solitude and silence? I think you'll have to ask some other young mothers. I, I just know that where you have a longing to have a few moments just to be with God, that, that I think you'll be able to find them. And when you pull aside... Was saying, Father, I know I've got some challenges. I'm in a crisis right now. And you meet with him. You'll know he's greater than that crisis. And you'll go from that place ready to face whatever he brings into your life. I think the beginning of this life of courage with Shalom are these regular opportunities for God to break in to know who he is. Which brings me to the second thing. That I want to talk about. When God, the Holy God, breaks into your life, uh, you'll see areas of your life that don't please the Holy God, unholy parts, right? So sometimes we will see things we have to break with in our lives. And I've called it, we, we will see that we have to turn from those things like my selfishness and my sin and give those to God and surrender to go His way. In fact, if, if you'll notice what Paul does, verses 3 through 5, he tells about his life before meeting Jesus. Filled with anger, killing people who were actually devout followers of, of the one true God. And he recognized that that was wrong. Until he met Jesus, he didn't see it. He thought he was fine. <laughs> I, I'm the most zealous of all of you. But then he met Jesus and he saw himself as he was. You see, there, there is something about that when, when, when we actually meet God, we actually then see those, those parts of our lives that are cracked and that are broken. I think I've told you this before. Uh, Chris and I were in um, Holland years ago. And um, we, we first went to, to this uh, porcelain factory, Delft porcelain factory. 
And we saw the, the, their best pieces. Remember, Chris, they were ridiculously expensive. We thought, we can go and get seconds. They're good enough for us. So we went to see the seconds. But after having seen the real thing, the seconds, I said, we couldn't get those things. So we ended up getting nothing, just, just to let you know. But take that to a, an infinite degree greater when we look at our lives in the light of Jesus, as Paul had to do, and he was blinded by it. Jesus is the blueprint of, of how we're supposed to live and think and act. And then, so when we actually come into the presence of God, we're going to see parts of our lives that need to be surrendered to Him. Parts of our lives um, where our thoughts and words and actions, you know, don't honor God. Here's the way I've thought about it. Um, when Jesus said we invite Him into our lives... It will be like springs of living water welling up and then it flowing out to bring healing and, and peace and joy to the world. Uh, but where we still have those cracks of sin in our lives, that living water coming in doesn't flow out, it just flows through. <laughs> and so when we enter into the presence of God and see the cracks from sin and selfishness, what we need to do is surrender those to God, ask for His cleansing, ask for His healing, so that that living water can make us more fully alive to him and bring blessing to the world around. Amen. See, Jesus died for our sins so that we can be cleansed. But he didn't die for our sins to leave us living the way we used to live. He, he died for sins so that we can be healed up and find freedom and liberation from those sins. And so what I ask you to do today is to ask God to break into your life and as he does to show you those areas where there are cracks, where there are still sins, patterns, addictions, and knowing that God is greater than those things, uh, surrender them to Him again. Tell Him that with the help of His unlimited Holy Spirit, you bring that sin, will you cleanse me? Will you forgive me, Father? Pray that. And then, Lord, make me whole, that my life might make a difference. Now, if you say, but pastor, I've prayed that a thousand times before. Can I pray it a thousand and one times? I say, absolutely. When you come, I want you always to hear the God who breaks into our lives. I want you to hear what he says. If you confess your sin, I will be who I am. First John 1 John 1.9 Faithful and just. Faithful. I'll keep my word. Just. I'm going to deal with sin. That's the scary part. If he's going to be just and we see then our sin has to be punished. He says, I found a way to punish your sin and to declare you right with me. I'll be faithful and just. To do what? To forgive your sins. More than that, to cleanse you from all that is not right. So I pray that today, that as you long for God to break in afresh, that you will take time to break with those areas that don't honor him. And that always leads to three, a breakthrough, which, which as I put it, I think of it as an intentional decision to surrender to God. The way that Paul does verse 10. Paul, who had been self-directed his whole life, the first thing once he met God, saw himself as he was, what shall I do, Lord? That might be the first time he said that his whole life. He'd always known what he wanted to do. He was the one who was the leader. He was the one who directed it. 
uh, surrendered fully to God to do whatever he wanted. He kept having to, to hear this sort of thing as he got with this, uh, this brother, Ananias. And, and, and Ananias said, God has a plan for you. He's broken into your life. He has a, a plan for you. So what am I supposed to do now? He says, well, what are you waiting for, Paul? See down there in verse 16. Just get up, be baptized, and wash your sin away, uh, calling on his name. You see, when, when, uh, when you meet God and then you hear that he is ready to forgive all those cracks and, and sins, then the only appropriate response is to say, what kind of God is this who is willing to go with me again, give me another opportunity to start? Lord, whatever you want, I will do it. It is a surrender, a surrender of faith. Uh, I find I have to do it over and over again. I'll just tell you, the reason why I really wanted to preach this today is over the last month or so, I've met so many people in our church who have told me, you know, I, I, I believe in God and I've enjoyed coming to church, but I don't think I've, I've really given my whole self to God. I haven't really entered in. And it, I'm not picking on you. I won't use your names because so many have talked to me about this. And some of you have had your spouses tell me this. I'll, I'll have, to, have to tell you the truth. I'm just telling you, there is a time where you just have to say, I know I need that cleansing. I, I know that God is real. There has to be more in this world than, than just myself and what I'm living for in my career. And when you just have to say, I'm in, I surrender all that I am to you. Here is my life. And then Jesus says, you'll be born, made alive to God. And, and for those of us who have done this many times, don't you think... That just as we began our walk with God by surrendering our sins and life to Him, that again and again and again we find ourselves taking our lives back over. And that we, we come back in, into church and, and where this call comes, I urge you to say, Lord, here I am again. I will follow you. Pa- Paul, I, I, I've asked myself, why was he so willing to do anything after being self-directed his whole life? I think it's because he was so amazed that God knew that he had been involved in killing the people of the way and that he was willing and able to forgive him and even use him. He's just so amazed that he just said, thank you, Lord. can't believe it. He knew that no matter how bad anybody was, including that crowd, he had been worse. Through the rest of his life, he called himself the worst of sinners. There's hope for anyone, he thought, if there's hope for me. And so if God's going to use me, I'm going to do it. So that gratitude, when you're grateful, it'll just make you so willing to surrender. Tim Keller has put it this way. I'll just adapt his phrase. I I love the way he thinks about this. He turns to his people as I'll turn to you. And he says, you are more wicked than you ever dared imagine. Only had one amen. Uh, (laughs) You are more wicked than you ever dared imagine. And you are more loved than you ever dared to hope. Both together. When you put those together at the cross, it makes you say, yes, Lord, I will follow. Do you you know the the woman in Luke 7 who was so thankful to Jesus that she just came and made a fool of herself in the eyes of her friends and bathed his feet with her tears? You know that beautiful, beautiful story? And you remember what Jesus' verdict was? He said, she loves much because she is forgiven much. Do you think she was forgiven of more than the religious leaders who weren't thankful to Jesus? The answer is no. She was not. It's just that she's just so thankful for it. So when you're really thankful that this God 
knows you and, and where you've fallen, loves you and will never let anything separate you from his love and is ready to go with you, then the only response, the only response appropriate is to say, Lord, I surrender all. That's a breakthrough. Which leads us always to this break forth. That then when we leave church, having met God, we've had a personal experience of hearing God say, and I'm sending you. Today we've just talked about we're sending you into the schools. But wherever you go, you've got to know it's not outside of the God who says, I'm going to work all things together for my good. So he might be sending you back to a difficult family situation or marriage situation. I know that. Sometimes they're so hard. He, he might be uh, sending you into a difficult business place where you wonder how we're going to make it through this thing. There's so many places where God, so I've even told you sometimes, I think sometimes he just sends us into the employment line to offer hope to people who have become hopeless. He sends us in so many places to be able to represent him. Now for Paul, his sending was so interesting. Uh, the first one, he sent him back to the church. And then after this second trance that he had meeting, he sent him to Gentiles. Now I'll tell you, sometimes Paul, like us, he's so human, uh, would take his life back into his hands and try to tell God, I have a better plan for you. And if you read it, you'll see that Paul's better plan, that he thought, God, it would really be wise if you sent me to Jewish people. You know, I could really reach these people in Jerusalem. You could see what he says, because I'm just like them. I can connect with them. This is going to work. I can, I can, be, your, I can be your voice here. Uh, but, but they wouldn't listen to him there. He'd cut, cut it right off before the speech was over. God says, no, I'm going to send you to the nations. Now, that, it's a crazy calling, really. I mean, in human perspective, um, Paul, a rabbi, Jewish man, trained in Jewish schools, and not just a rabbi, a Pharisaical rabbi. I mean, the very ones who wouldn't have anything to do with Gentiles. No contact with Gentiles his whole life. You're going to go to Gentiles. What kind of crazy calling is that? But it was God's calling. And do you know what happened when he obeyed? Uh, he spoke to kings and governors. Churches were planted. And ultimately the churches even reached here to Pasadena, California. God was working all those things together uh, for the good. And it was hard the breaking forth for Paul was hard. It's not always hard. Some, I just want to tell you, it's not that, okay, if I follow Jesus, it's going to be impossibly hard. Sometimes he really blesses your business and has it flourish. And we've had stories of that. I'm so thankful here in our church. Sometimes God gives real blessing to, to uh, the gifts that he's given you so that we've had people in our church who have won major awards in the past few weeks. Uh, Steve Scheidler from our church got five Emmys a few weeks ago. And Gary Kuo, our, our concertmaster of our orchestra, won, won a sixth Emmy just a few weeks ago. And Kara Powell had a book published. I mean, there are times when things really go well. But sometimes God's sending is into very difficult places. And Paul's was, and maybe yours will be. God will be there. And when you've met him, you'll know how to... Be faithful when you abound, as Paul said in Philippians, and when you struggle, when you struggle. Now again, I'm going to confront American Christianity here. I have heard too many times God would never send his people to such hard places. Do you, do you think so? Do you remember what Jesus said? That I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell 
are not going to prevail against my church. But that means that, that some of us need to get up close enough, get that scent of sulfur of hell, <laughs> those hot places, to be able to have the light push that darkness back. I've had a chance to meet Christians all over the world. I, I, I was thinking about this message. I, I think of a, a young, um, well, not so young anymore, probably in her 30s, wife who had said she'd become a Christian 10 years before, first Christian in her family, began praying for her husband, who was violently anti-Christian. Uh, and 10 years later, he was no closer to Christ than he was the first day she believed. For me to try to tell her, just believe in Jesus and it'll all be smooth. No, no, no. I have so many missionary friends of mine who were called to carry the gospel into a challenging place. And, and it was affirmed by God within the context of the church and yet have been there for years and not a single convert. Isn't that true? <laughs> Tell them God always sends his people to easy places. Uh, tell, you know, God is, loves to bring the gospel to the city and into prisons. T tell God's people like Paul, Christians don't go to prisons. T tell, tell people in St. Louis right now, have you noticed if you really watch carefully in the news, God's people are there, surrounding stores to keep them from being looted. Hard place. Tell them God never puts his children in hard places. And they'll tell you, that's not the God that I know. God is greater than the hard places. I don't know where God is going to send you. I just know that when you surrender to him, you break forth into being his representative wherever he puts you. Where do you have the peace when it feels really hard, when, when it feels like the place he's sending me feels like a crisis? Well, if you know him, you know it's maybe the greatest opportunity of your life, right? So, so where it comes from, this courage with peace, it comes from regular times of us gathering and you meeting with God and letting God break in and remembering that the God who made the universe and the Jesus who defeated a grave and sin by his resurrection is the God you know. Have him break in so that you will never forget it. When you meet him, it will mean that it has to be a break with. And really, each time, because we keep walking back into those things, right? That, that are wrong. Again, confess sins. Turn yourself over to him. Uh, break with those sins. And then, hearing him say, I'm ready to go again. Break through. Surrender. Say, yes, Lord. Wherever, what, whatever you want me to do, I'll, I'll be there and represent you. And allow you to be that person who breaks forth into being God's ambassador and witness wherever he puts you. And God will receive glory. And may this be true not only of Paul, but also of you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We'll take just a moment of prayer. Will you pull out if you can? I know in the balcony you don't have these, but for those of us who have kneelers and those of us who can kneel, let's pray just for a few moments at the end. Let me lead us.
So our Father, we have gathered here as you tell us not to forsake gathering. Here we are, your children, gathered together. And you are in our midst. Father, on behalf of each one right now here, we ask you to break into our lives in a fresh new way. Father, make yourself real. Give us this deep sense that you know us, that you are present, that you are sufficient. As the Apostle Paul needed to meet you, meet us here. In these seconds before we end our time. Father, I I pray that this will not simply have been a moment or a morning where we do what you do in church, but Father, where we meet you. Father, even now too, I, I pray that you would show each one of us areas of our lives. You're the holy God. There are unholy parts of us, Father. Show us those parts that don't please you. We will fear nothing in this world but displeasing you. Show us those. We give them to you, Father. We confess our sins to you now. And Father, we trust you to be who you are. You will be faithful, just. Forgive us and cleanse us. Then, Father, on behalf of each one here, I thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness and cleansing that you have not lost hope in us. So here we are, Father. Here is our lives. We are yours. What would you have us to do? Paul asked that. We ask it. Father, what is your calling upon each one of our lives today? We're ready to hear Father, as we leave today, you go with us. We want to break forth as your witnesses and representatives to show your love even when people are unloving to us, just as you have shown to us. To stand up for what is right when sometimes people have no one to stand with them. And always to give witness to Jesus. Father, throughout this week, we also want to be faithful to pray for what's happening in the Middle East, in Iraq, in Ukraine, with the Ebola virus that is killing so many for our cities, our own city of Los Angeles, Pasadena, St. Louis, New York. Father, may these times that seem like crisis be opportunities that we have to point people to you and may, Father, people find that you and you alone are a refuge and a strength and a very present help in times of trouble so that we need never be afraid. In the name of Jesus, amen.